Hey everybody, this is Ray Telsh and this is episode 85 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Uh, back with a second interview in a row. Fantastic. And this week's episode is quite a treat. Uh, when this one was first put together, I really was nervous about how it was going to go. Uh, I met the guest, Joe Gallant, uh, through a Facebook group of podcasters. And when he picked this week's movie, as I talk about a little bit in the episode, I was a little nervous that this was going to end up being a dud. But instead, it ended up being not only a really enjoyable movie, but a phenomenal conversation. Like, I'm so happy to have gotten this discussion with Joe, and I hope he comes back on the show and introduces me to more movies that I have not seen, uh, or movies that I have seen, just because he's a pleasure to talk with. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. He picked Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds, and that was kind of his selling point, is that he's a huge Burt Reynolds fan, which we kind of talk about right off the bat. And... Uh, I gotta say, I had not seen a whole lot of early Burt Reynolds, but after watching this one, I kind of want to check out more just to see what's going on there. So I hope you enjoy our conversation this week. Uh, the guest is Joe Gallant, and the movie is 1977's Smokey and the Bandit. You did mention in our conversation ahead of time that you are a huge Burt Reynolds fan. I'm an absolutely huge Burt Reynolds fan, and I was uh, unable to dig out my autograph photo. Oh, uh, no. I've, I've never I've never met Burt. It was uh, unfortunately passed away before I had the opportunity, but I bought on eBay, and it's completely vetted. This this older couple like had all this ton of collection of uh, memorabilia of just different stars signing stuff. So I have a black and white like Burt and a cowboy hat signed to Mr. and Mrs. Ed Heller, Burt Reynolds. And so I have that in a frame and it was on my wall forever until we moved into the house. And then it's ended up now it's out in the garage, like in a box of stuff that it's like, I've never, I just finished my basement. So now I have a chance to finally get it out and hang it up. I just, I was going to bring it today to show you, but so, so maybe this is a stupid question, but does it bother you at all that you are not Mr. or Mrs. Ed Heller? No, I'm the weird dude that like, <laughs> it's better that it's not me. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have met Bert. Like, I, I've met some of my heroes through Comic-Cons, things like that. I'm a huge Star Wars geek as well. Right. But, and I've met Mark Hamill and I've met like <sighs> Billy D. Williams. Like, it's oh. all true, but it's not like it's like I met him, like he came over for dinner. It's like I paid $175 Canadian right. to like stand in line for three hours to meet him for two minutes and then get my picture and leave. And I do it again in a heartbeat. Of and course. I'm a huge... I'm a weird dude, right? Like, I like meatloaf. Like, I'm a huge meatloaf fan. Like, food, obviously, and the singer. Um, <laughs> so I got to meet meatloaf when they did the Rocky Horror thing up in Toronto uh, for Fan Expo the one time. I got to meet meatloaf, which was a huge thing for me as well. And I've met, like, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. I'm a big Kevin Smith, like, so Jay and Silent Bob fan. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I can go through the list as long as my arm of people I've met and autographs I have and pictures I have just from going to these fan expos. Yeah, I've done a ton of cons. I got into it uh, in the, the early 90s when wow. I was a huge Babylon 5 fan, and wow. they were making the rounds at all the cons. So anytime I went to a con, there would be a Babylon 5 guest there, and I would do the exact same thing. I would pay for the autograph and get a picture yeah. taken with them. And some of those are some of my most cherished memories. <laughs> so I totally understand that. 
now I didn't get to go in the early nineties because uh, I guess age wise, I'm not too sure the difference here. I was born in 82. So my early nineties for me is my young, young teen years. And I wasn't going to these and they weren't that prevalent up here uh, as, as, as much as they started kind of in the States. But like, it's weird to say is like, so I remember going back in the late nineties, uh, like early 2000, actually, I guess it would be early two thousands to like one of the first fan expos here in Canada, up here in Toronto. And the autographs were like, you know, reasonable, like mm -hmm. 20 bucks and you can get a picture for free right at the table. Like that's how I met a lot of these, uh, a lot of horror people as well back in the day and other people in general. And now when I go, it's like a minimum, like, yeah, you pay 60 bucks an autograph, 40 bucks, maybe 25, maybe depending on who it is, but you're paying ridiculous amounts of money. So you, for me, I got a budget and be like, okay, I only have enough for one or two photos, maybe one or two autographs. And then not just that, you stand in line forever. I stand, I stood in line for two hours to meet Adam West. I'd, I'd do it again in a heartbeat if the man was alive. God bless him. And when I got up there, like in my brain, I was like, of course, I'm getting a picture of Batman signed. Of course. <laughs> and then I told him I actually was going to bring, I was going to bring the movie, my DVD copy of a movie called Hooper, which he plays like the main like it's a it's about the movie of uh, or the story of a stunt man and that stunt man is played by burt reynolds <laughs> i just wrap it all back to burt that may come up later in the show <laughs> perfect it's a semi-autobiographical movie about it but anyways adam west plays like the movie star in it that he is doubling and i went to bring it and as i mentioned that to him like i was going to bring my hooper dvd and i kind of forgot and he throws out a quote at me from the movie i'm like whoa and then it was so nice we sat and talked for a while and i now i know why I had to wait two hours in line because he was spending time with every single one of his fans. Right. So when I get up there, I'm looking at the picture of, well, here's Batman running with the bomb, the classic him running from the movie. <laughs> All of a sudden, you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> right. And then right next to it, though, was a picture of him as Mayor West from Family Guy. So I went, you know what? I'm going to go with the Mayor West. And he, he signed it to Joe. Right. And it says Mayor West. He signed it Mayor West, not Adam West. And I was like, <laughs> this is the best. Like, it's amazing. Like, these fan expo things are, like I said, I am a sucker for stuff like this. Now, Babylon 5, I remember my mom used to love watching Babylon 5 when I was, I wasn't huge into it. Right. But that's one of those things, though, that was a massive success based on, it was kind of like Star Trek. So like, he kind of grabbed right. in some of those people and it kind of reminded a little bit of, you know, Battlestar Galactica back in the 70s because they hadn't done the relaunch of Battlestar yet. Right. But you don't see a whole lot of Babylon 5 stuff these days, and you definitely don't see a lot of like fan expo stuff where you're like, so-and-so from Babylon 5, and you're like, oh, okay. Like You might see an actor or an actress who have been on Babylon 5, right. but they promote something else, right? Like You as well, a sure. fan will go up, but meanwhile, they're like, 75 other people in line and are like, I think they were on The Walking Dead. Like <laughs> <laughs> No, when like, I started when I started doing cons, um, most of the cons I went to, the autograph was included with your ticket. So it wasn't extra. Oh um, wow. so like a lot of those people that I met, it was just waiting in line and getting their autograph and getting their picture. And and most of them were exactly like what you're talking about, making sure they have that authentic moment with a fan as opposed to um, just, you know, sign and, and move on. And there's certainly yeah. a couple of those, but it's it's been in the last years uh, <laughs> that, that they've definitely moved to that where the, the autograph is extra, the pictures. I have a friend who has been dying to meet, and I suddenly can't remember the actor's name, but he played Rufio in Hook, and he's uh, one of the voices in Avatar The Last Airbender. And yep. she has tickets to a con, and the tickets finally went on sale uh, this weekend for the meet and greet. 
And she paid more for that than she paid for the con just to make sure yeah. that she gets a picture with him. And this is the guy who played Rufio. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. He does a bunch of stuff as well. I, it's funny that you mentioned that. And I'm, I'm also slipping on his mind because I added him originally, like, on Instagram and stuff. I was like, maybe I can get Rufio on my podcast. <laughs> and then, like... Cause I'm like that guy's doing nothing these days. So I reach. I went to. Of course, I always. I always send a message or an email or something to their contact, and, and then I wait. Sometimes I get a pleasant no. I get no answers, or I get you need to talk to my agents, or or, or you know I get or I get it surprisingly I get a yes sometimes, and you're right. like. I can't believe I'm about to talk to the guy who built the original Yoda puppets on Empire. Like, like that true <laughs> Phil, that did happen. Phil Tippett? No, no, no. The guy who built. Oh, the, okay, the, okay, the okay. Nick Nick Malley. He runs right. a, a museum down in uh, Saint Martin, and then that's if anyone can check that out. Like the he he's really struggling with the COVID stuff and all that. Right. And he was very very nice to come on the show and talk about things. And it was kind of an earlier episode for me on my on my podcast, and it was really cool to be like, this was my big get, you know. And then I've had a major like Olympic celebrity. Uh, medalist for a like, Canadian guy that got his medal taken away for smoking weed back in the 90s for snowboarding, <laughs> Ross Rebliati. And now he runs a weed, he has a weed company and everything else. He's really, <laughs> no, he knows his market. And, uh, but talking to him was kind of cool. I just happened to reach out and he said yes. And it was just a weird chain of events of how that happened. And then I get really pleasant. No, I'm too busy. I right. get no answers most of the time for some of the exactly. bigger guys. <laughs> and then mo most everything's filler is all my comedy buddies or friends that have like authors and stuff that I know personally. Or like this, you and I meeting each other on Facebook and your fellow podcasters or, or other people. So, but I love doing it. We should throw in uh, Rufio is played by Dante Basco. So that's, that's it, Dante that's Basco. Actress. Yeah. Um, okay, so what is your jam as far as movies go? Like, it's a it's a Friday night. You've had a rough week at work. You sit down. What are you going to throw in the DVD player? What kind of movie? Is my family home or am I? I'm just joking. not an X. <laughs> this isn't an X rated uh, podcast, is it? Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> no one puts DVDs anymore. That's all mobile or on your tablet. <laughs> okay, so I've just aged myself a second time, <laughs> dude. No, no, man. I, I do. I used to have the VHS tapes, and you have to, you know. Anyways, but we're now talking about something completely different. I'm, I'm an avid fan of movies in general. So whatever catches me, I'm more of a. As you can tell with like this kind of a pick that sometimes I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a weird comedy kind of goofy guy with some things like there's there's a fine line between like goofy, funny and then like really stupid. And like, this is really dumb. Like this is they're trying to be goofy. Then there's stuff where you're like, this is completely ridiculous, but genius. Like I got a couple of like movies that I like Kung Fu Enter the Fist is like one of the dumbest things you'll ever see. It's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. And it's absolute genius, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I, I can do that or I can watch The Godfather. I can watch Star Wars. Of course, for me, I'm a big fan of Star Wars, as mentioned. Um, that's always a go to for me. Things like, yeah, like I said, anything Burt Reynolds is always a classic. <laughs> it just depends on what I'm feeling like. But I will normally lean towards kind of more raunchier comedies, I'd say, or like more more comedy like just okay. in general you know like i throw in like an old school or you know something like that gotcha okay all right last question before we actually get into the movie the podcast is called have not seen this what are your have not seen this movies what are movies a couple of movies that you have not seen that your friends or people give you hell over wow okay yeah that's that's wow that's a good question um <laughs> It took me 30 episodes to come up with that question. So. Well, it's it's a great question because you're right. Like movies that people constantly are like, you have to see this movie, right? Like right. that that's that's a double-edged sword, though, because I have people who like will hang their hat on a film and tell me it's the greatest thing they've ever seen, and then I'm bored out of my mind. Right. Or it's not it's not my cup of tea. So I know when certain people tell me, like, check this out, 
they know me well enough that I'm like, I got to check other people. I'm like, okay, I'll just kind of whatever. I'll push to the side. But I'm trying. Let's just go off the top of my head here. Uh, La La Land will because pops into my head. I've been told oh. by so many people I got to watch La La Land. And I'm a fan of musicals. I'm a fan of, of well-made movies. I, I Apparently, it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to it. And that's one of those movies where it's like, you got to check that movie out. And then you're like, I never get around to it because I'm never in the mood to, to watch it sometimes or I forget about it. That is not a movie I would recommend to just anyone because mm. because it is it, it's a complicated movie in a lot of ways. But as a lover of film uh, of well done movies, there's so much of that movie that is like single take shots, which it it took me almost a year to realize that's why I love so much of that movie. <laughs> as a fan of musicals, yeah, that's that's a brilliant film. I love that movie so much. Well, and that's it's just weird that it pops into my head because not too long ago I was listening to either a podcast or a TV show. And again, they were talking about how great La La Land was. And I'm like, oh, man, I haven't watched that yet. Like, this is an Oscar winning film. Most of the time, if a movie wins an Oscar or it's nominated for Best Picture, I don't feel it's the best picture. In fact, it's <laughs> most of the time I'm bored out of my tree or I'm like, ah, it's okay. Well, what was the big one that won last? And I understand the last year or so I've been weird with COVID and everything else. And so some of the movies were, right. you know, it was, it was really artsy last year, but the one that it, it, it was fascinating, but again, it felt like nothing happened was the one with Francis McDermott that won. Nomadland. Nomadland. I'm, I'm on record on this podcast because we did an Oscar predictions. I did not like that movie at all. I didn't hate it because I I was fascinated. I work at Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I work in a warehouse, an Amazon warehouse up here in Canada. And but but when I saw the movie, I wasn't working at Amazon at the time. Um, I was managing a pizza shop. But I remember and then this the whole idea of living in a van and like traveling around has always been a big fast. I love camping. I love that kind of stuff. I would be a nomad at heart. But I'm also not a degenerate father that's going to be like, I'm going for smokes and then never come back. Right. I have a wife and kids and I'm very happy here in my life. But it's always that inkling in my brain. It's like, well, these kids are going to grow up. My wife's going to get sick of me eventually. And I will be on my own (laughs) living in a van down by the river, like Chris Farley used to say. (laughs) So I'm just I've been planning. So, yeah, I liked the movie to an extent. And then I got kind of like nothing really happened, but I wasn't nope. bored. Like, but it was long. The movie I did like with Francis McDermott, like a couple of years prior to that, that it was it was the three billboards. Outside I have of still Evan. not seen that movie. That's my I have not seen this list, <laughs> dude. I, I will tell anybody like it's a long thing, but like I love Woody Harrelson. I love Sam Rockwell. Like, right. These guys are phenomenal. And don't get me wrong. I'm sitting like on the couch watching it and I'm crying. I'm a, like I said, I'm a 300, almost 300 pound. I've lost 25 pounds, so I'm, I'm not 300 pounds anymore, but <laughs> I'm, I'm in the process of losing weight. But anyways, I'm almost a 300 pound, like, you know, almost 40 year old man. And I'm on the couch crying. Like, yep from from uh, a certain scene i don't want to spoil anything for anything but it was ex- it was interesting and i remember seeing the trailers and i'm like this does not look interesting and then all of a sudden i i, I was like you know what uh, someone else told me it was good i started hearing good things about it people i trusted that that kind of know me i watched it and was was blown away and was like this is absolutely amazing yeah so if you that would i would recommend to you if you get a chance and you got three hours of your life you can carve out check out that flick i think it's on netflix yeah it's been on my list i just have never uh pulled the trigger not sat down and watched it though but that's that's good to know i definitely will check that out all right well let's go from academy nominated three billboards (laughs) to the movie that you picked for us to talk about this week which is 1977's Smokey and the bandit which i think is about as far away from three billboards as we can possibly get (laughs) they both take place in the south 
Right, right. Uh, written by Hal Needham, Robert L. Levy, and James Lee Barrett. Directed by Hal Needham. Starring Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, which still threw me for a loop. Uh, Jerry Reed, Mike Henry, and Jackie Gleason. At last. A warm, sensitive, touching story about the close personal relationship between a man and a woman. Between a trucker and his dog. Fred, I'm so damn tired of picking you up. I got to Fred. Between a father no way. and his son. No way that you could come from my loins. And how they all took to the road one day for a quiet little drive in the country. From Georgia to Texas and back. In 28 hours flat. With a truckload of bootleg beer. I'll be driving this one. Hey, uh, blocker, blocker. You'll be driving the truck. This is Bandit 1, and that is uh, Bandit 2. <laughs> now, who would do a thing like that? <laughs> You're crazy, you know that? Yeah, you know that. <laughs> uh, yes. How much money did you say it was? $1,000. Universal presents Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, Jerry Reed, and Fred. We're going to really have to cook. I mean, put it on the back burner and let's cook. Is that a 10-4? 10-4. And the only thing that stands between them and an $80,000 prize, Jackie Gleason as Sheriff Buford T. Justice. I gotta barbecue your... Bandit, I've got a Smokey report for you. What's your handle, son? My handle's Smokey Bear, and I'm tail-grabbing your ass right now. This is Smokey and the Bandit. And, and so the way I always start this part is, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see this movie? I got to say, first and foremost, yes, it is not an Oscar winner by any sense of the means. <laughs> but but just because you have awards don't mean you're a great flick, as we nope. just discussed. But it also doesn't mean it is a good film for some. It's not a film, by all means. But it is the second highest grossing movie of 1977. Right. Right behind Star Wars. Right. <laughs> like, so and then and, and, and close to start. Well, not now with, with obviously re-releases and all that stuff. But in, in 1977, these movies were almost neck and neck. Yeah, because it is what it is. The way I describe it is it is a great one and a half hours, you know, in length. So it's a nice eclipse along at a nice pace. You got a lot of great action, a lot of great stunts. There is some really funny parts in this. How do you go wrong? Again, I'm a huge Burt Reynolds fan, but at the time, Burt Reynolds was the biggest star on earth. So during this at this time in this movie, this really launched him into the stratosphere of who he was and what he became. Not just that, you have comedic legend Jackie Gleason, <laughs> who has quite possibly one of the best cinematic entrances of all time <laughs> with this character. The, this character, and 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 they basically, I watched an entire documentary over the Christmas holidays about this and not in preparation for this podcast just right. because I'm that big of a fan. And Jackie Gleason was basically told you have full control of what your character says and does. You can improv everything. And it really shows that like, again, he's head and shoulders above everybody in this movie. But the way I describe it is this. It's a good old boy who has to bet that he's got to do. 
that's it. He's he's a showboat. He's a, he's a considered a legend in this trucking world. And he ends up with they basically make him a substantial offer of making a lot of money to just basically run, grab some beer and come back. And then back in the 70s, it was illegal to run Coors Light east of the Mississippi because it's considered bootlegging. Right. Nowadays, it doesn't matter. You can get beer wherever. But back then it was. So that's the premise of the movie. They're literally hired to run to get beer and bring it back and as an illegal action of, of bootlegging. And then from there, it is literally just laughs and great car driving and stunt work. So if you're a fan of the Fast and the Furious series, that kind of like action of, of speed, this is some of the best car chase stuff and comedic car chase. Like, I don't know. I'm going really long to explain this. As it's seen it, but well, basically, you don't have to think too hard. It's not a huge plot driven movie. It is that basic and it works like it's from a movie written and directed by a stuntman. Right. <laughs> Which, let's keep in mind, John Wick comes from a stuntman. So that's that. There, there, there's a history of stuntmen creating pretty damn good movies. <laughs> well, I think John Woo got his start with a lot of that stunt work. Right. And then like, as well. So again, these guys understand action. And that's that's the thing about this is there's a ton of fun action. Again, at the time, it was the late 70s. It checks so many boxes off of what was very popular during that time. Oh, absolutely. Trucking, CBs, uh, <laughs> like the stars of it. The, the funny thing is the, the stars you had mentioned, the only one that isn't really a notable one is the one who plays uh, Buford's son. Right. right. Mike Henry. Yeah. Mike Henry. Uh, but again, great character in it. Just a dumb, you know, good boy about, you know, oh, sorry, daddy. Like just <laughs> Jackie Gleason rips him a new one every chance he gets. You again, Burt Reynolds, Sally Field and Burt fought so hard to have Sally in the movie. Burt was absolutely in love with Sally Field. Right. Uh, he he claims that she is the one that got away that, that when they broke up, it broke his heart that, you know, they just they didn't work out together. And uh, he was told Sally Field's not sexy. She's the flying nun. She's not sexy. She can't be sexy. And Bert's like, I think I beg to differ. And he fought for her to be in the movie. And I'll be honest with you, she plays well in the movie. They all play well off each other. Oh, yeah. I kept having kind of these brain moments where I was watching the movie going, she's really funny. Wait, no, this is Sally Field in this stupid 70s comedy. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) If this movie was made with any other cast... I don't think we'd be talking about it right now. Right. Like, I, I truly don't. Like, if you, there are a ton of terrible 70s trucker movies or van movies or car chase movies that have, it was a low budget full of nobodies, and we would not be talking about it. This, though, you combine the soundtrack done by the man who drives the truck, Jerry Reed, who plays Cletus Snow, <laughs> the snowman. Right. At the time, again, huge country star. You have this movie was made for the South. It was made for the people in the South. And it took off like wildfire. Like I said, you have Burt Reynolds at the time. You put Burt Reynolds at anything, it was gonna start making money. Yeah. So it, it was kind of a perfect storm. So you already gave your year of birth, so I don't mind calling you out on that. But so how yeah. how do you become fascinated by a movie from 1977? What's your history with this movie? Like, when did you discover it, and why is it so important to you? So I'm a huge fan of movies. There's I can name tons of movies from all walks of of, of genre, years. Like I watch old classics as well, and things like that. But you're right. The same thing as like Star Wars. I'm sure I was born 1982, but Star Wars has gone on to be now making movies where my kids are kids. But this was, you know, from from the odd time catching it on cable television or or kind of seeing it growing up, it didn't really take hold to me till I was in my teen years. I was in high school and my best friend at the time, my buddy Wayne, his dad was a trucker. 
And <laughs> so we'd be hanging out at his place and his dad would have like tons of VHS copies of all these different movies. And, and as a, even a Canadian trucker, you still had that South kind of feel to you. And so he had a ton of Burt Reynolds flicks and a buddy of mine was like, hey, man, like so Wayne, not my buddy of mine, but Wayne, my, my best friend at the time was like, and still to this day, if he's listening, Wayne, you're still my best friend, don't worry. It's, uh, <laughs> but he showed me this movie and I absolutely fell in love with it. And then I kind of like fell in love in a, in a, you know, not in a weird, like I want to marry the guy way, but like with Burt as Burt. And then from there, it just kind of spiraled. Like people get like really into things sometimes. Like some people get really into the gym or yoga. I got really into Burt Reynolds, which is a weird thing. Same thing with, like, with me with meatloaf. I got really, really into meatloaf, like say, around the same time in high school, right in through college. And then. It just grew from there. And then in my early 20s, I like really hung my hat on like, this is part of my identity. It's not just Star Wars anymore. I'm now Star Wars and Burt Reynolds and Meatloaf. Like, <laughs> so for me, though, I just again, it was shown to me by a friend of mine whose dad grew up, you know, and through the 70s as a trucker. And it was all that kind of the thing. And then from there, that led to me down the rabbit hole of, of any you know, Burt Reynolds flick I could get my hands on at the time. I'd start checking it, go to my local blockbuster and they had a deal like eight movies for like 10 bucks. So you get like eight movies. I'm like, this is my weekend. Right. And then I could throw in like Gator and White Lightning and The Longest Yard. And <laughs> Gator and White Lightning, which are actually a sequel. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're they're a pair of movies, but like The Longest Yard. And like, again, you get good, you get bad. There are some absolute terrible Burt Reynolds films out there. There's one where he fights a shark. I've watched maybe once. I have it on DVD. Like, it's terrible. Like, it's, I think it's called Shark or some shit. I can't even remember now. But uh, there is some absolute terrible Burt Reynolds films. There's some not so good Burt You know, some great Burt Reynolds films. But that, that was for me. That's long answer was, yeah, I got a friend of mine's dad basically was the key. And he showed me this movie. And to the point where even my buddy Wayne was a huge fan of this movie. And I helped him for a media English class recreate a Canadian version of Smokey and the Bandit. And all we did was rip off the movie. But we were we were oh, we were we were trucking uh, uh, Molson's from Montreal. Like it was such a dumb premise. Like it was just for this class. And I just was like uh, he's like, Joe, help out and just play a couple of characters. So I went and I played a couple like just whatever and helped film the movie with him. And we uh, we were good because his dad had the pick or had the transport truck that we could, you know, shoot film in and then his dad had an old chevelle that we used in place of the trans am and that's how much we love it that we made a really bad remake of it for an english class well i have to say i had not seen this movie until you picked it for the podcast it's like today is my first day having seen this movie and there was a part of me that was <laughs> kind of dreading it um <laughs> and and that part of me has been proven just absolutely wrong because i really <laughs> enjoyed this movie it is you're right it is not the the, the most plot driven film um yeah. there, there are there are some serious narrative issues with it but at the end of the day it's a lot of fun and like and i'm familiar with burt reynolds but like older Burt Reynolds, like Boogie Nights Burt Reynolds and that kind of stuff. And it's like the first scene between Burt Reynolds and Jerry Reed when he first goes to Cletus's house to, yeah. to wake him up and stuff. I watched that scene and I was like, I get Norm McDonald's impersonation of Burt Reynolds now because <laughs> this is the Burt Reynolds that he's impersonating. It's not the older no. guy. It's this no. guy. And it's like, <laughs> oh, suddenly that's such a brilliant impersonation because it's just dead on with his mannerisms and everything. It is the the Burt from the late 70s into the 80s where he was so arrogant and cocky because he was Burt Reynolds. He was right. God among men. And, and it's weird because he, he's not 
he's not a bad actor. Like when you're watching him play the character, it almost feels like he's phoning it in and he's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm Burt Reynolds. Here's my lines. And then I'm gone. But the whole time too, you're like, but he's delivering them like well and right. And, and it's happening and it fits the character. And he's, yeah, because the character is so goddamn cocky. Well, I, right. And, and that's, and that was something I noted is like, you, you just made the comment about him being kind of arrogant and it's like, like 15 minutes in or so <laughs> there's a moment where he's evading the police and he pulls behind the building and then the camera comes down to him and he breaks the fucking breaks fourth the wall to <laughs> wink at the camera. And it's like, that is so pure ego. And that is Burt Reynolds ego. But then there's a uh, moment later on in the film that was also pure ego. Oh, the, oh, the fact that he has a license plate that's ban one. That is just, <laughs> and it's like, but that's the character's pure ego. And it was like, oh, they match so well. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, and it's it's funny too, because like the whole movie, like minus the, the really like loose, like shoehorn in the plot right at the beginning where another trucker gets pulled over and he's found to be... <laughs> Calling Coors and trying again, get the beer to it. What is he's big and little Enos Burdett uh, trying to get them the beer. But it's just basically like, you know, it's illegal, son. This is bootlegging. And you're like, and there's your plot point. Like there's like this is information you're going to need. And then when you find Bert, he's literally just sleeping behind. He's in a truck rodeo and he's being paid to be there because he's right. some legend. And the, one of the lines that's I love big and little Enos Burdett. And uh, <laughs> just when it's like well, they say he's a legend and then the little, little it goes, well, a legend and an out of work bum look an awful lot alike, Daddy. <laughs> like, <it's> just, <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> like Bert, that just like kind of laughs, takes his hat up, and then calls him a little lady, and like just completely like that arrogance to him, like and like the back and forth. And that little Enos is Paul Williams, like songwriter Paul right. Williams. There's a lot of a lot of little like like I said, Jerry Reed's a songwriter, and it just was this weird eclectic group of people that were like let's just make a movie and then they made this weird movie yeah and like the the plot is almost completely irrelevant to this movie whatsoever because yes they establish early on the idea of the cores that, that that it's bootlegging and the whole premise of the movie is that he and his buddy are going to texarkana and back to georgia in what is it 28 hours 28 hours 28 hours so 1800 miles and 28 hours it's never been done for 80 grand or something and it's not about the money like we see that at the end of the movie it was never about the money it was about the challenge of can you do 1800 miles in 28 hours and so the fact that the fact that the the boot that it's bootlegging really never comes into play other than just it's a threat that is there hanging that never it pays off so it really is just an excuse to have Burt Reynolds behind the wheel interacting with another actor uh, behind the wheel. And then yeah. the fact that w- one of the things I loved about this movie that I would hate, if this movie was made today, I would hate this. But the fact that they're going down the road and he sees the car, the just married car, and skids into a sideways slide there, and she jumps in the car and he takes off again. And a movie today would need to like show her at the church and show her running away and show her driving in the car and then their paths meet so that the audience has been spoon-fed enough information to appreciate that. Now, this movie says, fuck it, she's just there. Like, and she sort of gives no backstory while they're driving. Just right. kind of tells it while they're driving. It is like, oh, are you in search of a wedding? And it's like, or you're a wedding or a bride in search of a wedding. She's like, no, it's more like a wedding. It's in search of a bride. Right. And then you kind of piece it together that. Yeah. When Sheriff Buford T. Justice and his son show up, Junior, 
Junior's in a in a tux, so you kind of all of a sudden put it together. They're like, "Oh shit, he's the bride!" Like, like he was the groom, right? She's the bride, and Buford's like his big piss off is no way is some woman gonna walk away from a nice wedding that I've put on, right? Like, because Junior doesn't care. Junior never once in the entire movie makes any effort to say that he cares about having been jilted. He his only uh, motivation is you want to please your dad, right? Like, it's Hold the hat on. Like, Hold the hat. And then even at the end of the movie, when when uh, Jackie Gleason's driving away, he's yelling, wait, daddy, who's going to hold your hat? Like, right. it's the whole. <laughs> it's just this kid is so dumb. His dad is so verbally abusive, sometimes a little physically abusive to this guy. But it's that whole I just want to appease my dad. So if his dad was like, you're marrying this woman, I'm like, OK, daddy, like, you know, it's that dynamic is amazing. And again, leads to a ton of amazing. Amazing Jackie Gleason lines. Like the kid screws up and Jackie goes, there is no way that you are the fruit of my loins. And then follows that up. As soon as I get home, the first thing I want to do is punch your mama in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Stating basically that mom cheated on him. And that's the, like, just the fact that, yeah, then there's a whole bunch of other like great, like calls him a moose twit. Right. And like so many, and there's such fine Jackie Gleason moments like throughout one of, again, what I love about the 70s, and when you and I were originally talking about like which movie I would do, one of my big movies I love talking about as a comedy uh, like person that I am, like I've done stand-up. I went to school for comedy at the Humber School of Comedy up in Toronto, and, and it's kind of led to me doing a bunch of different entertainment stuff. Obviously, I'm not a, a working stand-up comedian, but I had in the past done a bunch of stuff. Anyways. But just comedy in general and studying it. But a movie that I was going to mention to you to talk about, and I don't know if you have done, and you've got a lot of episodes I was trying to go through and, <laughs> and see, was Blazing Saddles. Like if you, nobody has ever, nobody's done it. that. No. So bla- damn, I'm going to like, go back. I'm, I'm like, if I can come, if I can come back, blazing saddles is on the table. I will talk about blazing saddles because it is not only just an amazing movie, like comedy and everything else. It's a movie that cannot be made today. Oh, absolutely. But the comedy is, it's all racist. Like it's all racism driven on a lot of the comedy, but it wasn't racism driven for the fact that it's racist. Right. Like the joke I'm going to talk about, which is a hundred percent done for racist. But yeah, the, uh, the Blazing Saddles was all done as a social commentary, commentary, right? Like a satire of like, this is what we're going through, guys. Like this is and this is the way they were treated back then. And and then and things like that, like Blazing Saddles is a, an amazing movie to show right. anybody. It's it's being racist in order to point out the flaws in being racist. Right. Yeah. And, and, and no, but, it could never be made today. No, no, God, no. There's no way, but but it's and it holds up today again. The comedy and everything else, and and again, you can laugh at the joke because the joke is kind of saying, "Hey, look how ridiculous this is," and like to shed light to actually promote non-racism, right? But in this one, one of the one of my favorite jokes, and again, it's played up just for the fact that he's a southerner is he meets the Arkansas sheriff. Right. They talk on the on the CB, and then he comes and he's like, "Oh, I thought you'd be taller." <laughs> Like the right. joke is, and then he's like, "What is the world coming to?" And that's it. Like, but you're like, that's a hundred percent southern joke. The fact that he didn't think that a that a sheriff could be black and like all that stuff. Like, I, I get it, but it's the joke that just played a hundred percent to like that's eh, a racist joke, you know. The only element of this movie that feels uncomfortable because yeah, that's a racist joke, but it's it's a racist joke that's showing what a shitty person uh, Sheriff Justice is. You know, it's yes. not it's not being done to make the audience laugh at the racism. It's being done to be like, look at this is the kind of person he is. The only yeah. thing 
that that really doesn't hold up well, and I didn't even notice it until halfway through the movie, is that the front license plates of the Trans Am have a Confederate flag on them. Yeah. For no reason whatsoever, because that totally doesn't fit with the bandit's character. Right. So the only the only thing at the time, you get again, 70s. Right. You're talking you're talking about Dukes of Hazard, which, you know, that logo of the Confederate flag for the longest time, uh, up until recently, was a pure symbol of just the South. If you were in the South, you could fly that flag, not necessarily meaning that you back the Confederacy and slavery and like that. But at the time, it was just this is a, a symbol of the South, right. right? Like so, it being on the car for the seventies does fit the 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 time frame sure. and 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 at the time. But I, you're you're correct. There is absolutely no real fit for it. And Bo doesn't come off like Bo Darvel, uh, not Bo Duke. Bo Darvel banded himself. <laughs> uh, his real name is Bo Darvel. Uh, but, but yeah, he doesn't come off like himself. Like he's you know your typical like white trash southerner, right? You know. So you're right. But again, I think at the time that symbol wasn't seen to be, I mean, at the time that was on Skinner albums and like, you know, it was all over the place. So that, that would be my only uh, to defend. Not I'm not defending it, though. I guess right, it's a weird right. thing, but that's the only thing I can say. And I'm just saying most of the yeah. movie holds up pretty darn well, other than the fact yeah. that, as I said, the plot is uh, <laughs> incredibly thin. <laughs> uh, real quick, let's take a look at the critical reviews of this. Um, okay. it, it, there's not a ton to bring in from the critical reviews, but it sits at 77% at Rotten Tomatoes, although it does have an 84% audience score. So the audience likes it a lot more than the critics. It sits at an even 50% at Metacritic for more recent reviews. Uh, I always bring in a positive and a negative review uh, just in case they have some ideas that we might want to hit on. In this yeah. case, they're pretty thin. The negative review comes from Ron Pennington from The Hollywood Reporter who writes, while the joke wears thin very quickly, there are a number of amusing sequences which are combined with some exciting road action to provide a mildly entertaining and totally mindless film. Hal Needham making his directorial debut after an illustrious career as a stuntman makes the most of the action and progresses the film with a perfect lighthearted touch. Uh, on the positive side, uh, the only real the top review that I could find was for Time Out. The critic is not credited. And they write, Despite a thin premise for an action comedy road chase, the film's enthusiasm makes up for its lack of ideas. Reynolds and Reed accept a bet to ship an illegal lorry load of beer back to Georgia, getting involved with Field uh, along the way. The direction by a former stuntman concentrates on the action and happily leaves everyone to their own devices with almost nothing to do. Field shows what natural acting is all about. And Reynolds' send-ups of himself are, despite repetition, becoming more likable. Here, his kidding around is exactly in tune with his fast-moving but essentially lazy vehicle. And what I found interesting is both the positive and the negative review hit on the fact that the plot is thin, and yet the action is exciting. <laughs> and I, I think we've kind of already hit on right. that. Like, I, when I, we we are we're not. This isn't Lawrence of Arabia. This isn't. <laughs> This isn't Citizen Kane, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm not really a huge Fast and the Furious fan uh, on the whole, but I do love their the car chase stuff, and they're getting more and more ridiculous. But so I don't think I've watched one since maybe four or five. Like they're like up to ten now. It's crazy. But this movie, and that I think becomes more of. I'm not a big Vin Diesel fan uh, in general, but again, the acting and the plot is kind of what bogs it down. You're like, why is there too much story? Get back to just driving cars, right. you know. And like this movie does that, and I don't know if it's because again, the hour and a half is a quick hour. I watched, I rewatched it today. Right. Okay. I, I skipped over one part, like, like quickly skipped over it. My kid, my 10 year old was sitting next to me and I'm like, 
I can't remember how graphic this uh, love scene between them goes, and it's not that bad. No. But it's also, I know, the slowest part of the movie, which is a weird, a weird <laughs> slow. We're almost there. We're almost there. Let's take an hour break. Sex with Sally Field, and and then Jerry Reed's going to stop to have a quick bite to eat and a bar fight, which is a great scene, the bar fight. But to be fair, they had to give Jerry Reed something to like. That was in my notes. It's like he gets into a bar fight because he hasn't done anything the whole movie and they needed to give him something to do no. other than talk to the dog in the radio. <laughs> and I guess I can't remember if I read it correct or whatever it is, but the dog was Jerry's idea because he's like, I'm talking to nobody. Like it's to give him like some somebody else in the truck. But it, it's uh yeah, like the scene with him in the bar where it's like. He has that smile like he meant to get in a fight like he's just that kind of guy. Right. And he's like, yeah, and he's 100 percent like, how'd you do? And he's like, ah, like normal. I lost. But he just runs over like all of those bikes. And you're like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and, and Jerry Reed, for anyone listening who's like, I don't really know who Jerry Reed is, because, again, you weren't a huge country fan in the late 70s, right. or early 80s. You might know the song Eastbound and Down has been played on so many different other things. Uh, Amos Moses is a very popular song he's done. has been covered by Primus, and it's it was in one of the Grand Theft Autos mm-hmm. as well. And Jerry Reed, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But most people in the last, I'd say, if you were alive in the last 20 some years and seen Adam Sandler's Waterboy, Jerry Reed is the coach of the original team that he meets then they meet in the finals he plays such a great he's playing jerry reed but he's bad jerry reed like so that (laughs) that, he's evil jerry reed but anyways that's where if anyone was like oh i don't know who that is like that's who he is if if you've seen adam sandler's water boy he's the bad coach coach that fires him right and then they meet him in the finals so but jerry has this way about him where everything i've ever seen him do is like he's funny he's creative he's a great musician and he comes up with the most craziest sayings and right. like just weird Southern, like, you know, stuff. And then in this too, I never really noticed a certain couple of things until I watched it again today, like with a little bit more of a keener eye because I knew we were going to talk about it. Right. I never realized Snowman's wife is so against Bandit coming to take him away to go do something. I thought she was just like, listen, leave the guy rest. He needs to be home with his like 15 kids, oh you know? Oh, my God. But it, and he just goes, what are you trying to start a new race? Right. Like, the, the certain Reynolds. But he actually states is like, no, you he he landed in jail. You got him arrested for one of your ridiculous, like harebrained schemes. And it seems like Bandit walked away clean. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'm going to go and, you know, and then just basically talks him into it. Not really that difficult to be like, nope. hey, come on, man. Like, it's you and me. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he pulls out the Trans Am out of the back of a truck, which I don't know about you. How that fit in there, I have no idea. <laughs> well, and then, and his reaction, like he couldn't just look into the truck and see it. It's it's not until he drives it out. He's like, oh, wow. It's the DeLorean reveal from Back to the Future, it is. right? Like it's the truck <laughs> and here comes the car. And at the time, this is one of the biggest cars to have ever hit muscle the muscle car world you know it's my ultimate dream car like today watching it again i was actually looking up trans ams for sale like <laughs> and, I, and, and just if anybody wants to help me buy one uh barrett jackson does have a burt reynolds owned trans am it was the only trans am burt ever actually owned and it's been restored and still has the ban- anyways <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> but it's Bert's owned tra- that would even that would be the biggest for me but uh you're right this it's just the, what i was going to say not just that and other little things was frog is the audience yes. if that makes sense that is she's she's the one that like 
gets spoon fed the information that everybody else is aware of so that she can learn trucker code and learn this world. But now we are as well, because like if like 70s trucker lingo, like you've never heard. I'm very rarely would anyone today, their dad driving on the highway, be like, I got to pull over to get some go go juice to shove some groceries down my neck at a choke and puke. Right. You'd be like, dad's having a stroke. Shit. Ma, call an ambulance. That's like there's just all this weird trucker lingo in the CB world, and 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 so she's like repeating back to him, like, "What is that?" And then Bert kind of tells her, and then she goes, "Oh, okay," and she gets it, and then that's kind of for us to go, "Oh, okay, that's what that means." Yep, she so is the surrogate for the audience, yeah. absolutely. You know, and then I really didn't catch that before, but maybe that's because I was really hip to trucker lingo, apparently, or I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I had forgotten how obsessed late 70s culture was with this thing and and what was funny for me was like i worked a job uh 15 17 years ago where we used uh radios where we we had walkie talkies that we had to use and i mean some of this stuff was just like you just you took the job and you what's your 20 okay well that's yeah that goes back to cb like i had no idea uh, you know, ten four. Uh, but like the code ten one hundred. One of yep. my one of my employees said that to me one day on the radio, and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And it's today that I finally get that joke. <laughs> See, now if you would have back then knew, you would have said, "Well, it's better than a ten two hundred, just like Sally right. Field says." And it, but the thing is, it's right. It all comes from military radio talk, and it all comes from the police, and it's all it's still ten four. I used to work security, and I was a supervisor for a long time, and it was the ten codes, ten this. 10 that 10 4 10 20 what's your 20 which is 10 20 which 10 20 right. your location and then yeah you're right and there's all these 10 codes and different things and but yeah the cb world and these truckers all took it to a different level and and the funny thing is i was talking to my buddy's dad when he was an actual trucker and was like so cbs only have x amount of like radius kilometer wise to like talk and in this movie it seems like these cbs are the internet like right. you can, you can almost, well, but if you guess they, maybe they are within a few kilometers, but it just seems like they're picking up clear as a bell, no matter where they are, each other, other truckers, other people trying to help them, which is its own other thing that all these other CB enthusiasts who know them are you, like listening. You have a <laughs> traveling, uh, whorehouse essentially with a CB radio. You have an old granny who has. I interpret it as she caused the accident uh, um, to, to help yeah. to help out with a CB radio. You have a freaking hearse with a CB, but at the same time, like I was alive in the seventies, I remember my parents having CB radios in their cars. So I'm like, it's funny, but at the same time, maybe it's not so far removed from the truth. <laughs> Well, and and, and uh, you're right with all these CB radios. And it was kind of this network of you'd start to kind of meet each other. Everybody would have their handle, you know, different things. That's where, well, that's where Bandit comes from. That's his handle. That's his trucker handle. Right. Oh, and that's Frog's handle. joke is that Frog's I'm about joke, to right. die in this moving CB radio and I don't even have a handle. <laughs> right. And then he gives her a handle and calls right. her Frog. She's always jumping around. She's cute like a frog and he'd like to jump her. Like, <laughs> you know, which then you're like, again, kind of. You just met this woman and you're right. A, but I guess she jumped in this car wanting to get away. So I guess she took her gamble and, you know, it still pays off that that's the loose love story that happens between the two of them. And it seems like it's instant love between the two of them. Like there's not a mm-hmm. whole lot of again, you're right. We'd have to add another 45 minutes of film in today's world to show them not like each other right. then like each other. And then he lied to her and then she takes her glasses off and her hair down and she's actually pretty <laughs> like <laughs> like. 
I'm You're laughing like, because it's true. They totally would do that. You know, where this was, again, it was very much those critics hit the nail on the head with Hal Needham was like, listen, I'm a stunt guy. I, I want to get to the next action scene. So it's like, talk, talk, talk. Okay, that seemed pretty good. Action, action, action. And there are some very big, very uh, dangerous stunts done in this movie. As much as they don't seem it to, by today's standards, because today anything a computer can make. Right. So you can have Robert Downey Jr. fall from the sky and get caught by the Hulk, which never really happened. Dude, you're shattering my world. (laughs) (laughs) But in this world, they legitimately jumped cars onto moving trucks and under under trucks and over a bridge, which was the final shot of the film. If you are truly that interested in checking out a a really sweet documentary about the making of the movie and everything like that, uh, CMT made it. It's on YouTube. It's where I found it. Just typed in Smokey and the Bandit documentary, and it's the one done by CMT. It's like an hour and a half long. It talks about Bert and Hal and where they met and about Bert and a lot of great interviews. And then it talks about Bert and Hal kind of having their fallout a little bit mm-hmm. and, and about that and how this movie and how dangerous it was. And this was the first time I found out I want to go talk about the stunts was the scene where Sally Field is driving the car and Bert like grabs the wheel because they're like going through like a like they jump onto a football field. Right. That car smashes through a dugout. That was not planned. <laughs> the grass had been watered that morning and they were unaware of it and they had the brakes locked the stunt driver had the brakes locked up and it just slid and it actually that's why those kids are like pretty much at the car running away <laughs> a couple of kids ended up in the hospital not dead but hurt when it crashes through the uh the dugout and then they pick up with it crashing through the other side because right. i guess to make to make it work and you're like well we only have like four cars to do we've already just- and what's funny is I didn't know that when I was watching the movie, but I thought that was an odd transition from jump from crashing into the dugout from the front to seeing it crash through the backside. I thought that's that was a weird, weirdly done transition. Like you would think they just would have cut to the back end sooner yeah. to see it smash through, but no, they used that front end too. And so that that makes sense. Oh, that's footage they had because of the accident, so why not use it? And not just that, I mean nobody died. So right. It's pretty impressive to watch the front of that car hit and these kids are still holding on to the fence and like trying to run away. Like you're like, like, so when I saw it way back in the day, you don't even think about it. Like, oh, movie magic. Everyone's okay. But watching the documentary a couple weeks back, it's like, oh man, that actually, oh, that wasn't planned. Oh crap. Like <laughs> shit, people almost died. Like, and then, yeah, like jumping the bridge and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. And you're just like, this is absolutely phenomenal. Like maybe that goes with my love of things like Star Wars. And I'm such a apologist maybe or we want to use that word or I forgive so much of George Lucas's prequels. It's like kind of rough acting, not a great, great plot mm-hmm. action, 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 action. And that's what he directed too. was like, yeah, okay. Talk guys. Okay. That's good enough. Let's get to where things go. Boom. And, and things go fast, you know, and that's very similar to Hal Needham's movies where they do get better. And uh, if anyone does love this and likes this stuff, definitely check out cannonball one and cannonball two cannonball run. I should say not just cannonball cannonball run and cannonball run two. one's better. Uh <laughs> Avoid avoid the next two Smokey and the Bandit films. And- I, that's, I actually that was going to be my next question. Is again, this is my this is my first time seeing this movie. Now, my understanding is a lot of the characters are back for Smokey and the Bandit too, like all of them. And then they add Dom DeLuise as like a veterinarian because okay, he wasn't so, enough in Cannonball Run, I guess. Well, that's where they yeah, because right. Cannonball Run is another fun. Hey, it's almost like a video game. It's like they're all these kind of characters and they all have their own car and they're all in this big race. It's all based on the gumball rally, right? A real actual race. Cannonball Run's a great flick. It's a lot of fun, more comedy, just as loose, actually even probably looser of, 
<laughs> of a, of a <laughs> plot. It's it's a race. It's like uh, you ever seen Rat Race from the early two right. thousands? It's that basically, but just better. a bunch of st- yeah, but better, star studded <laughs> and just full of stuff. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Ask you know a type again, for a really old movie from the sixties. But anyways, so Smokey and the Bandit two, in my opinion, should have picked up exactly where the first one left off. So to spoil the film for anyone listening, they get back, they get the beer there, but with the cops and everything unchanged, so Big Enos gives them the keys to his Cadillac so they can get away. Right. right before they leave and give them the money, he says, double or nothing. We want you to go up to Boston, pick up some clam chowder and bring it back. So Big and Little Enos, they in, said, In 18 deal. hours. In 18 hours, right. deal. And then they drive away. They have their little scene with Buford and then they take off, which has one of my favorite lines where uh, um, the snowman says, you know, uh, you're crazy and I'm divorced. Divorced. <laughs> yeah, we were talking earlier because because he's just never, right. never home and everything else. So anyways, but that would have been great to pick up right pretty much as that ended. Right. Like that's what I, I assumed. Know, yeah. They go get another truck or they or they have to steal a truck or they have to whatever. And, it, and again, Buford's in pursuit in that beat up car and it just gets more and more and more beat up. And now he's from Texas, but now he's bought like like all the way up the East Coast of Boston. <laughs> so it's like, what a weird that, in my opinion, would have been a smarter sequel. So that's not what they did. No. So here, here's the <laughs> sequel. And I'll give you the rundown of this shit. At this point, Bandit becomes larger than life famous for this stunt he's basically pulled. He basically becomes more and more Burt Reynolds, like like in a way like the stardom. Him and Frog have had a bit of a falling out because his ego and everything's getting so big. He has records as a country singer. He he's like drunk in a hotel and like life. It's such a weird like over the hill like once fifteen minutes of fame is gone type feeling. Big Big Enos is running for like governor of Georgia or whatever, and Big and Little Enos. So basically get the gang back together because they need yeah so they need them to go pick up this this special special guest i'm putting in quotation marks that needs to be there for the big election night or whatever it is okay so they don't really know who the special guest is until they get there and it turns out it's an elephant it's a pregnant elephant and that's where they find the veterinarian or whatever. It was Dom DeLuise that because the elephant is pregnant and might give birth while they're trying to truck. That's right. Truck a live animal. I'm, I'm taking Georgia. this off of my list of movies to see right now. <laughs> Don't bother. So the Smokey and the Bandit trilogy is one and a half good movies. Okay. If that makes sense. So yeah. there's probably there's probably enough in the second one that is entertaining enough to say that's actually some all right stuff the third movie we will well, we'll get into here so basically they go they get the elephant sally and bert fall back in love well, bandit and frog have to fall kind of back in love and all that stuff and whatever the third movie at this point bert reynolds is at his absolute height right of of everything and doesn't want to make a third spoke in the bandit movie so the snowman gets to be the bandit in the car <laughs> okay but it's actually the title of smoky and the bandit three Smokey is the bandit. That's right. Jackie Gleason, who who comes back in the second one to chase them again for whatever fucking reason, because he's still behind him. But the third movie, Jackie Gleason is now retired in Florida like Buford has retired and Big and Little Enos basically hire him to steal this shark, this like stupid stuffed shark and get it back. And it's like. You can be the guy with the hero, but then they also hire Snowman as the bandit. And it's basically the stupid back and forth about who has the shark. And then 
when Buford finally catches up to Bandit, like the Bandit, again, quotations, right? it then does this weird dream sequency like shimmer thing, and Jerry Reed turns into Burt Reynolds in the car because Buford would see him as Bandit. Right. And Burt does like 15 seconds of like cameo, and that's the movie. <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit 3, Smokey is the Bandit, is by far almost unwatchable. Unless you love really, really, really bad movies, like for <laughs> sake of being bad. There were TV sh- movies they made. I heard about, about that. Yeah. So I tried to watch one years ago. I had, I couldn't get over the fact that it wasn't Bert or any of the characters. It was like Snowman and Bert, but it's like the early adventures of. And I'm like, in a way, that sounds amazing to me. But I'd rather, I guess, see maybe an animated <laughs> show where it's like Young Adventures of Indiana Jones, but it's like Young Bo, like Young Bandit and Snowman, like trucking and doing, you know, hijinks would have been all right. But whatever it is, like yeah, Bandit rides again, Bandit something or other. There's like three like made for TV movies, and they are terrible. <laughs> Hey, this is Matt. And Jesse. We host American Slacker Podcast, your weekly rundown for weird news, entertainment suggestions, and unique games. Every other week, we bring on guests from all walks of life, like comedian Mark Forward of Letterkenny. Yeah, we just call it tuna up here. We, we, we're pretty clear that it's a fish. And NYC stand-up powerhouse Ian Fidance. I want to fucking punch you in the fucking face with positivity <laughs> and fun, motherfucker. Actor Brandon Crane of Stephen King's It. There's a lot of the work that I did, like Wonder Years to It, they were all very, you know, period, 50s, 60s, and, you know, chunks were all the rage. And Arthur Clown from Terrifier, David Howard Thornton. They also had to make a mold of my face while I was there, so that was kind of claustrophobic in itself. Musician Dan Simons of Just Surrender. First time ever going out on tour, you remember every stop. And Nick Thompson of Hit the Lights. All, all the stuff that I think that people go through through life, and it's just, like, my outlet for that. Watch the video version of American Slacker on our YouTube channel and listen to our show on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit our website, aspodcast.com for everything American Slacker. That's it. There you go. All right, before we close up shop here, because we need to get yep. to our end game here, what have we not talked? I see. I feel like we, we've talked almost an hour, and I feel like we barely really hit on any notes I took on the movie. So, what do you want to make sure we get in before we we close the discussion on this movie? What have we not talked about that you want to guarantee we do talk about? I'm trying to think. You know what? In in in, in defense of the movie and of us, uh, there is not a lot to talk about about this movie. But there are some for me. Just to, I probably want to just rehash a couple of things. Is like again the Jackie Gleason comedy in this, and just the subtleties of the character and things that he says, and the weird uh, "you some bitch" and like you know, and then the scene that apparently Jackie Gleason wrote it was the very first time that Bandit and and Buford come into contact together when Bandit's in the restaurant. Like grabbing right. a couple of cheeseburgers for food for the dog and for him and whatever. And uh, he's supposed to be dropping Frog off to get on a bus. And Buford comes rushing in and he's like, give me a Diablo sandwich, Dr. Pepper. Make it quick. I'm in a goddamn hurry. Like, right. Just like he comes flying in and then there's a little bit of a back and forth. And like Bandit knows who he is, but he has never seen him. So he doesn't know. Bandit ends up paying for his meal. And he's like, well, much obliged. And he's like. Where's the bathroom? I got to take a squirt. Like, it's just this one, like, fun little back and forth. And just, again, the way he says stuff is like, it's just, um, Jackie Gleason is one of the all time great. Oh, God, yes. And, and actors, like, even serious stuff. When he played, um, Minnesota Fats, right? Yeah. In, in, 
and things like that. So you're like, eh, you know, then the hustler, that's what I would say color of money, but that's a sequel. Right. But then uh, the hustler, like it just, he was just a graceful, funny, like amazing actor. And to see him in this role late in his career, like almost coming up to the end, it really just like, he hits the nail on the head. Like I said, that's for me. Just hits it so hard in the head. I think that was going to be my fear was when he first appears. Like, first again, first of all, he has a great, great appearance <laughs> where he gets out of the car and he's sitting there. And Junior, who we don't really know who is yet, is getting the cigarette for him and then he can light it himself. <laughs> I mean, like, that. what a what a well-done scene. But I also was like, ooh, this is older Jackie Gleason. Is he going to be – is this going to be one of those cases where I'm sad because he's older? Mm-hmm. And no. Yeah. I mean, he was – Brilliant. The only issue I had with all of Gleason in this was actually that same scene you were just talking about with the diner, which is the toilet paper gag was a little over the top for this movie. Yeah. Now, (laughs) that's one of those things. I don't know if the director thought it was funny, but I also wouldn't put it past Jackie Gleason to have just come out of the like be in the bathroom. And they're like, action. He's like, oh, this will be funny. You know, old school, like vaudevillian, you know, honeymooners type shit. And it's either the dumbest thing or the most genius thing from right. certain angles, but you're right. That is the dumbest, but that does lead to one of the greatest lines he does utter when the waitress runs out and goes, Oh, sir. And pulls it off his, his glasses. He turns back and looks at her and says, nice ass. And right. He just goes back to his car and you're like, what a comment. <laughs> like just nice ass basically like what an ass and it's not like this waitress is anything amazing she's like she's a bit of a dumpier girl she's an old you know what i mean it's a bigger girl and everything else but it's just the way he drops the line of just like nice ass <laughs> Nin- 1977 baby <laughs> like a 19, yeah that's back when you could slap a waitress in the butt and get away with it or you know smoke on a plane like there's just that kind of stuff but just the little little things that you catch again with some of the dialogue and like with Jackie Gleason is a one man show with that pairing. Like everything's got their own right. pairings, right? Snowman and Bandit are their own pair, and then their back and forth is a little bit more faster clipped, and but they're they're playing off each other and funny. And then and then Sally Field and Bert have their own two things, and then even Jerry Reed and the dog have their own like kind of back and <laughs> forth. Like but it is true. Jerry didn't have much to do besides say weird stuff that's kind of fun and catchy, like Oh sure. And like, he was good at dog, it. Like about about the dog. Like at one point, he's like, make sure you get a hamburger for Fred because he's looking thin in the skin. Like saying things like thin in the skin, you know, and like all those little catchphrases. Like, I don't know. It's this weird little glimmer of what life was in the 70s in the South, I guess. And, sure. and it, it, it turned up to 11 on a lot of things, but it, it, it's charming. It's funny. And you're right. You don't have to think a lot. And it is entertaining. Like you it said, I thought, you, I thought you were going to come in and be like, Joe, this was a pile of garbage and you owe me an hour and a half of my life back. I was astonished because that's what I expected too. But no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I'm and I'm so happy to hear that because that is the answer I get from most people when I said, have you ever seen Smokey and the Bandit? And they're like, no, it's something my uncle would watch or my dad would watch that crap and like watch it like it is <laughs> funny like it's entertaining like check it out like that's that's my only thing and that's why when you ask me a movie that i've seen that i think a lot of people haven't seen especially now that it is getting up there in age you know is uh as i always say is like that that movie like that movie has a big part of my my life and uh i, I just think it, it it's a lot better than people i think give it credit for agreed all right let's move into the end game here got a couple of games before we're done uh, first up, the algorithm says this is a list of various movies that different algorithms say you will like because you like Smokey and the Bandit. So this is kind of a lightning round of your responses to these movies. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Do you not see how they're connected? That kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> what, a, what a great concept. Yeah. Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right. First up, The Cannonball Run. 
well, yeah, it's it's basically Smokey and the Bandit, with, <laughs> with, with, but it's a race. <laughs> like they play like like Bert plays the same character, right? Like, but without being the same character. All right, uh, the longest yard. The Burt Reynolds or the remake? The Burt Reynolds. Yeah, again, Burt. It's Burt. It's uh, that's got some humor to it, but that's got some heart. Like that is a that's a more dramatic, and it's an absolute great gritty flick. Like, it, and I do love Burt in the Adam Sandler remake. I think the Adam Sandler one took yep. it to a nice comedy, but it still had that grittiness to it. But the uh, Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds is an absolute solid flick. Okay. Third, Hooper. <laughs> I mentioned earlier <laughs> we're talking about Hooper. 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 Hooper is even more of a far-fetched kind of plot and and it is what it is but it is kind of semi-autobiographical because Bert started as a stunt man or at least an actor doing his own stunts and a lot of people maybe don't know this the reason why Bert fell out of the public eye a bit through the late 80s into the 90s and it kind of popped up now and again just to stay kind of relevant was he had a very serious pain pill addiction Mm. and his back and he was really messed up and yeah boogie nights you mentioned earlier that was his like the re-renaissance of, yeah yeah the birdissance right like and then even his very i don't know if it's his very very last one but there was a movie it's like the last hollywood star or something yes. like that that movie is so i thought it was gonna be brutal i thought it was gonna be tough like just kind of one of those like oh, brilliant it is amazing yeah and ariel winter who is one of the daughters on um modern family modern yeah. family yeah, get her name correct <laughs> ariel winter um but modern family she's she plays a great character um one of the weirdest things though is bert's health was really bad at the time and they used a body double for a lot of long shots you can find on google the really bad bert reynolds mask they make the stand-in wear and it's kind of creepy but that movie alone is again almost an echo of bert being bert and kind of his send-off and yeah, yeah so i'm a little bit ahead on that but Ho- hooper sorry yeah I heard an interview with the director, the writer-director of that movie yeah. uh, about behind the scenes, about like if Burt Reynolds had said no, that movie never would have been made. He he wanted to do it with Burt Reynolds. That was the only reason he wanted to do it. It was 100% written with Burt in mind. Yeah. But yeah, with Hooper, Hooper shows a, a stuntman's life and again, his fallout with his significant other in that movie um, based on the pain pills and everything else. And uh, why am I thinking Sally Field also played his... Ex-wife, she, yes, and that. yeah, she did. Right, yeah, I yeah, think so. so. That's yeah. when they were. I think so. That's why. Because there's also some scenes in Smokey Two that's that kind of mirror, very similar. I've watched Hooper in a very long time, but yes, I again, Hooper's a fun watch. Adam Adam West is amazing in it. All right, Deliverance. Deliverance is uh, is far <laughs> left, far right, whatever you want to say. A complete U-turn to use euphemisms from car chase stuff. It is a complete 180 of what we're talking about in Smokey and the Bandit. But Deliverance was what brought Bert to superstardom deliverance is an absolute amazing movie creepy movie for mm-hmm. if anyone's ever been paddling and camping you hear banjo music it makes you move pucker <laughs> your butt a little bit tighter and get going but that movie is uh that's just, that's just a great flick that's got john voight and as well and ned Beatty. but yeah they that movie is a, that's a really great flick okay brewster's millions brewster's <laughs> bruce wow but that would make sense. I'm just where we're going to deliverance to Brewster's Millions. So Brewster's, <laughs> I, I watched Brewster's Millions probably a year ago, roughly a little bit more again, just again. Uh, Brewster's Millions is great because, again, Jackie Gleason. Right. No, wait. No, that's the toy. Sorry. Brewster's Millions is, um, he's a baseball player. He gets all this money. Uh, John Candy is his uh, buddy in it. Great Canadian John Candy. And, um, <laughs> but Brewster's Millions, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a solid one. It's, um. 
it's weird because it's like you get five million dollars and you have like over a month or something and you can have like no money at the end of it and then you'll make more money it's it's a very again easy plot funny uh again but it's funny how something like like in the 70s or 80s when i came i think it was the 70s where five million dollars was like unfathomable now you're like it's five million dollars like oh, i could probably just go i'll go to the car dealership <laughs> buy three like i'll buy one house like like yeah like it's the money it's a little bit different but brewster's is good it's a classic all right here's where the list starts to deviate a little bit so we okay. have any which way but loose i've never seen it okay it's clint, clint eastwood Cl- and eastwood. i believe it involves cars so i think it's that's how it's related but i haven't seen not, it either not just clint eastwood also an orangutan. Yes, right, right. <laughs> I want to say I have seen it maybe once or only part of maybe on TV drunk one night in college. Like, yeah, the, <laughs> I think the monkey's name's Clyde. But anyway, yes. the uh, it is. Okay, I, I know most of this from like Simpsons references. Right. And like other, <laughs> maybe seen it like once, um, but I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say no. I don't really. I haven't seen that. One. Okay. Uh, the Blues Brothers. Yeah, Blues Brothers is one of those films that, uh, to be honest, I got to be in the mood to watch it. I got, I understand what they were, what they did at the time, and there is some really great comedy in it. Uh, I do find that Blues Brothers movies to uh, to be a bit long, and there's a bit of a, a lulls in it. Yeah, um, that, that's I know people would kill me if I said that. That's like sacrilege, but it is definitely <laughs> not Blues Brothers 2000, which was really bad. But. <laughs> But Blues Brothers, uh, again, it's a solid team with uh, Dan Aykroyd, you know, and Belushi. And uh, yeah, I, I do. I do like it, but it's not one of my go to's. I really have to be in the mood to watch Blues Brothers. OK, Urban Cowboy. <sighs> I don't think I've ever seen Urban Cowboy. I have not. It's John Travolta. So I don't know. E- OK, there it is. I was trying to remember who the who the guy was. Yeah, it's John Travolta as a trucker. And I as much as that sounds like <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see that. But no, I've I don't think I've seen Urban Cowboy. Okay. Tommy Boy. Oh, Tommy Boy is one of my all-time favorite comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought of repeatedly while watching this as I kept watching the sheriff's car. Very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing uh, road trip uh, buddy comedy. Um, it's literally Chris Farley at his absolute best. Yes. Um, it was David Spade. They played so well off each other. And then they kind of tried to redo the same movie in a way with Black Sheep. Um, work. <laughs> which again has has some comedy it's okay but it's not as good as uh, yeah tommy boy again that hit when i was in high school like late uh, high school yeah so like that's like right in my pocket of like you know nostalgia slash comedy it kind of helped form me all right last one and possibly the weirdest choice to put on here the road warrior <laughs> like the first mad max yes. Well, the second Mad Max, technically, because the Mad Max was the first Mad Max, and then the Road Warrior right. is the second so, one. Sorry, Road Warrior is the second one. Yeah. I apologize. Wow. Um, <laughs> I dig I dig the Mad Max stuff. Like, I, I even like Thunderdome. Oh, um, I love Thunderdome. <laughs> oh, man. Like, Thunderdome, like, Thunderdome, for me, was, that's what I thought Mad Max was. Because when I was a kid, it was the only one I had ever seen. Like when I was younger, I'd see it on TV or like VHS tape or something like that. And I used to love like Master Blaster, like fighting in this kid. Two men enter one. That was like some crazy stuff. But then, yeah, like going back and starting to watch like yes, first Mad Max, which was like very independent, like just you know, and Road Warrior. Again, it, I think the reason why it's on the list is probably because of cars. It's right. It's all, you know, that stuff. Even the remake uh, Mad Max Fury Road, I really enjoyed. You know, ever I know a lot of people's critique was like, wow, we just went an hour one way to basically say, okay, let's turn around <laughs> to drive back. You're like, we're trying, like, it was, a, yes, a very weird uh, plot of it all, but I did enjoy it. I, I like that world. I love that post apocalyptic, like old muscle cars and like leather. And yeah, it's, I'm cool with that one. 
All right. We always end with a multiple choice uh, pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, number one, Smokey and the Bandit was the second highest grossing film of 1977, beaten only by what other phenomenon? Uh, a, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, B, Annie Hall, C, Saturday Night Fever, or D, Star Wars A New Hope? As mentioned earlier on the podcast, it was Star Wars. Yep, it was Star Wars. Uh, number two, many of the movie's moments featuring Jackie Gleason were improvised or created by the comedic king himself. However, Gleason was also responsible for the addition of what to the film? A, Junior Justice, B, Cletus slash Snowman, C, Cassie slash Frog, or D, the biker gang at the Choke and Puke. Wow. I thought this was going to be the scene that he wrote with him and Bert. Wow, <laughs> I mentioned it. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say he added Junior to have the second banana, like the dumb to play off of him. He I did. would say that he, would make more sense. He yeah. uh, flat out told them he needed a straight man to play off of. So that's, that's why they ended up adding Junior Justice to the movie. Yeah. Well, a little bit of a role reversal from the Honeymooners because he was the kind of the straight man right. to, to, right. Nor to Ed Norton, right? So, yeah. All right. Number three, the film required a number of Trans Ams to be used over the course of the movie. Director Hal Needham asked Pontiac for six, but only got how many actual cars for use? A, three, B, four, C, six, D, 12, or E, nobody actually knows. This was covered in the documentary where they originally got one number and they had to go back and, and basically tell the studio is like, you need to give us like two more. So I believe the answer in total is four. The answer in total seems to be nobody actually knows. Really? Uh -huh. okay. Needham at different points, even in the DVD commentary, apparently says three and four. Burt Reynolds says they got 12 and then the six was the number of Le Mans that they got. But apparently there's such discrepancy even between oh. what Reynolds has said at one point or another yeah. and what Needham has said at one point or another that nobody has any clue how many actual Trans Ams they used. <laughs> I, I can see that. And how like to ex exaggerate. And uh, the documentary mentions they only got like a couple and then they, they had to go back and get more. And Bert's like basically like get them and then they got them. Bert at one point in that documentary states when it's like his exact is he goes with a gun to my head. I could not tell you the plot of Smokey and the Bandit. Burt Reynolds himself says, with a gun to my head, I cannot tell you the plot. So that's not far-fetched to understand. So Yeah. All right, last one. When making the collect call, Cletus gives his full name as Cletus Snow and then tells the operator, no, he isn't related to Hank Snow. Who was Hank Snow? A, a not-so-famous bootleg driver. B, a NASCAR driver from the early 70s. C, a country music artist from the 50s. Or D, a producer on the film. <sighs> trying to remember now because Hank Snow and the I'm going between NASCAR driver and singer and I'm gonna go with singer he was a I had to look this up because right. I was just like what the hell what yeah. is this reference like I wrote it down in my notes going who's Hank Snow yes he was <laughs> a, a famous country music artist Canadian country music artist from the 1950s See, and that's why I think of hers. <laughs> And, I, and the thing is, I, I think I know a couple of Hank Snow songs if I like I've heard them. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I know. But I remember I was like, oh, it's either NASCAR or that. And the only reason I was thinking NASCAR was uh, Burt Reynolds' great film Stroke Race. Anyways, go ahead. All right, man. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, of course. So I am the host of the Galanski and Friends podcast. 
Uh, you can find that on any major platform, um, Spotify, Apple, at galanskiandfriends.com. I have the, the website. We'll lead you right to it as well. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Galansky Friends Podcast. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. Those are the main spots to find it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great podcast where I interview interesting people. Right. So I've, ta- I've talked to everybody from actors, authors. My last one, I talked to a nudist. So I've talked, I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> Uh, it's true. I did the entire podcast naked, so it's no video, it's just audio. <laughs> thank so thank you for keeping your clothes on for this interview. Then. <laughs> You're welcome. That's basically what I love to promote. I uh, I really appreciate this. I, as I said, I was kind of dreading this movie when you picked it, but again, the, the rule of the podcast is I don't get a say. You pick the movie, I have to watch it, um, but I really enjoyed this a heck of a lot more than I expected to. Uh, I will not check out the sequels based on what you said, but I probably will go now check out Cannonball Run. So <laughs> check out at least the first Cannonball Run. Definitely, the first Cannonball Run is just as fun, just as uh, you know. And then the second one gets again a bit more goofy and a bit more you know joke like bad jokes. Um, you know, so like I think it's the sequel that has Roger Moore in it basically. He's in the first one, James Bonds. Oh, it's the first one. Okay, yeah. and then they even get him to drive the Aston Martin in it, right? Like. <sighs> But he's so it is Roger in the first one. Sorry, the second one. There's again, it's there's I get them blend together, man. Right. Cannibal Run 2 is a way better sequel and watch than Smoking the Bandit 2. So definitely. uh, But but for those who are listening, if they've not seen Smoking the Bandit, by all means, take mine or say, hey, you're going to enjoy it. Probably. Yeah. Check it out. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media, share your thoughts about Smokey and the Bandit, or even Burt Reynolds, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talnhess, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where I Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you enjoy this movie conversation, I invite you to check out my other podcast, Never Say Die, where former guest Drew Meyer and I talk about a movie and the inspiration we can draw from that to use at our gaming table. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Joe Gallant for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Tell. And this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.